Welcome back, listeners. I'm Morse Code, and I learn from my mistakes. I am outside the bunker with my super mic, but this time, I'm in a tree. No ants, just me, the birds, and a soft, cool breeze. Today, we are listening to Alan Dibb of SuccessWise. I hope you enjoy this, listeners. All right, Alan, thank you so much. I, I know you're from Australia, so flying all the way around <laughs> the world uh, in in my black ops, uh, fly, I don't even know what you, it's a, some sort of like next gen technology jet. Uh, and so uh, under cover of darkness, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and, and again, I apologize for all the intense security and all of that, but this, what we're about to talk about is so important and so revolutionary that in the wrong hands, this information could cause chaos in the street. So I just want to assure you that nobody is listening to this conversation. It's just you and I. I'm so very glad to hear that, off. Josh, but I'll, I'll give you my real good stuff then. All right. Good, 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 good. Okay. So because no one's listening, uh, Joe, I would, and I'm going to, I'm taking notes here for my, my top secret project. Um, so Alan, what was your, what was your first business? And I know, cause when you started, uh, the one page marketing plan. Uh, I know one of the things that you've shared is that this is the, 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 the marketing plan you wish you had when you started your first business. What was your first business? Yeah, my first business was an IT managed service provider, mm-hmm. um, which is a, is a fancy way of saying I was a tech geek. Yeah. I was a technology geek, good at what I did. Um, and, you know, I, I look back and I was so naive at, at the time. You know, I thought if I'm good at the technical stuff that I'm going to be doing, uh, and I was really good at it, and I continually improved in my growth and education and all of that, then naturally the clients will come knocking on my door, knocking my door down, asking me to do business with them. And uh, to my absolute shock, that didn't happen. Uh, um, so, uh, in in fact, I distinctly remember um, myself and my business partner, we were walking to lunch one day and I said, look, we've got a great business here. The, the margins are strong. Um, you know, the customers that we have love us. The only problem, we've got this just little problem, is we don't have enough clients, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was mixing up major and minor. I, I thought that being good at the tech stuff, being good at the geek stuff was the major thing. And this little thing called sales and marketing, if we could just fix this little, little niggly thing, then we'd have a great business. And I was really mixing up major and minor there. And that's, that's really how I started. So I started my business as a dead broke IT geek, um, very clueless when it came to business and sales and marketing. You know, you're probably like me. Uh, thankfully, I read the book, uh, The E-Myth, which I think is now 20 years old plus. Yes. And, uh, you, you know, thankfully, I got the lesson early on. Well, fairly early on. I still failed in business six times before, you know, I finally <laughs> got it through my thick skull that, you know, it is all about, you know, growing your business. And so many of us love you know, let's say we're a freelancer and we just love what we do. And, uh, or, you know, my, say my wife is a family therapist. She's very, very good at what she does. Um, 
but it's not enough to just be really good at what you do. So, and, and I see this as a particularly, I, I see this particularly in the U.S. And I talk about this, you know, where we we have this rags to riches fantasy, where we just think if we do good stuff, we are going to get discovered. Yes, and that's just not the reality. That's exactly right. And, you know, if, if that were the case, and I, I wish that were the case, I wish that I biz- business and life were a meritocracy, then, you know, we would have brave firefighters, nurses, they would be the top paid people in our society. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You know? yeah. so. so I think that, you know, the basic idea then, and, and we're going to get into the, we're going to actually go through the one page marketing plan. And uh, nobody's listening to us, of course, right now. But if they were listening to us, they would go to successwise.com and they would click on the blue button that says download for free. And then they could, in theory, which again, they can't because no one's (laughs) listening to us, but they could, in theory, click that blue button, download the PDF, and they could actually follow along with what we're going to talk about. But again, that's, you know, no, no one's listening to us. So that's all right. Um, that would be a very dangerous thing for them to do. It, yeah, um, do yes. And, <laughs> and, you know, if anyone were to hear about this, I, again, warning, 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 you might not want to do that because it could completely <laughs> destabilize, you know, by allowing you to get all of this business now because you've got some things identified. <laughs> so, yeah, don't definitely do not do that. <laughs> if, if someone were listening. Okay. So, um, yeah, but I, I you know, again, I, I think, do you, and before we kind of get into the marketing plan, um, I see this with podcasters. I see this with YouTubers. I see this with bloggers uh, is that again, they're producing good stuff and they're yes. just, they're just hoping that it's just magically going to get discovered by their audiences. And do you, do you have a ratio? I mean, I I know it could be kind of different for everybody, but do you have a ratio of like, okay, so spend X percent of your time in your craft and spend X percent of your time promoting your craft. Do Do you have any idea what that might be? Look, I think I think it varies from industry to industry. So, you know, and, you know, people talk about how much should my advertising budget be and all of that. And like I said, it varies from, from industry to industry. Um, but more importantly than that, I like to figure out how can you have an unlimited marketing budget? So, mm. and the way you have an unlimited marketing budget is by ensuring that you, you know, if you put a dollar in, you're getting a dollar or more back in terms of profits. And so uh, that means you can have an unlimited marketing budget. But um, very frustratingly, you know, I went, you know, as as I said, I was a dead broke IT geek. I, um, I went to every seminar, read every book, and people said, just have a great product, have great mm. service, all of that sort of thing. And I was telling one of my mentors at the time, my frustrations, I was telling him, look, we have got this great product and we have got this great service. And he said something that hit me like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've never been the same since. Um, he said, well, that's great. Um, but when does someone know that you have a great product or a great service? And I said, well, obviously after they've dealt with us. And he said, well, before they buy from you, 
they only know how good your marketing is. So mm. you need to get good at the market. So marketing is a customer acquisition strategy. Yeah. Um, having a good product or service is a customer retention strategy. So before you retain a customer, you really need to uh, acquire that customer. So no one will know how good you are until uh, they until they buy from you and they can't yeah. buy from you unless you have good marketing. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. So, um, I mean, the reality is like, especially if you're the founder of the company, um, yes. who's in charge of growth? Well, it is squarely on the founder's shoulders. So, exactly. you know, I think the idea is, you know, from an operation standpoint, well, again, I think we need to formalize this as we go through the marketing plan. Um, but, you know, just my experience with that is it's really fun to do the work of the company. Um, but I, I think very quickly, we need to train others, create other opportunities for other people on your team uh, and create systems. You know, again, I'm yes. a big fan of that. Yes. Okay. So uh, now I've got your one page marketing plan and I, and I have to tell you, Alan, that I'm a little skeptical that <laughs> everything can fit on one page because I've seen business plans that are thick as a phone book. If I, I'm dating myself there, only people my age know what a phone book is. <laughs> <laughs> it's an app, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, so what convinced you that you could do this on one page? Yeah, that's such a great question. And going back to that first business, I hired an expensive consultant to help help me put together a business plan. And I knew that, you know, I was smart enough to know that I needed a business plan and a marketing plan, but that's unfortunately where my smarts ended. Um, and so uh, he spent many months, many thousands of dollars putting together a marketing plan that was, like you say, as thick as a phone book. Uh, it was probably about 70 pages long. Um, had charts and graphs and projections and all sorts of stuff. And guess what I did with it? Uh, I shoved it in the top drawer of my desk, never saw it again until yeah. we were moving office. Uh, I was cleaning out my desk, threw it in the trash, and I was sort of angry at myself at the money I'd wasted on this, uh, you know, business plan that was really just pie in the sky. And so um, fast forward a few years when I was um, – coaching my own clients uh, in my own uh, business coaching practice, uh, one of the first things that I wanted them to do was to create a marketing plan because uh, that's something that even though that big thick plan was mostly a waste of time, the, the little section in it called the marketing plan really helped me clarify my products, my services, my positioning, all of that wow. sort of thing. So just going through that process was very, very useful to me. And so I want, even though the whole business plan as a whole was mostly um, fluff, the the part of the business plan that was called the marketing plan was hugely helpful in helping me clarify those questions. So I wanted my own clients to go through that process. And, you know, I got a lot of pushback, a lot of resistance, too hard, mm. too difficult, too expensive, don't have time, all of this sort of stuff. And so by necessity, I created a process where literally in a single page, they could create a very sophisticated direct response marketing plan. And, you know, the take up dramatically increased, the compliance dramatically increased. And oh, um, yeah, and that's, that's where the process came from. And then, of course, the book and, and everything else flowed from that. Is this only for people that are in the ideation stage or is this also for someone that's down the road? 
Uh, it's both. So, I mean, it's fantastic if you can put together a marketing plan in the ideation stage, but the, everybody needs a marketing plan. It's kind of like, you know, if you stepped onto an airplane and you overheard the, the pilots chit-chatting just before takeoff and one of them says, hey, have you got the flight plan? And the guy goes, ah, don't worry about the flight plan. We know how to get there, <laughs> you know? And, and, and that's that's the way many people are running their business. They have no flight plan when it comes to the most important part of their business, which is the customer getting uh, part of their business, the customer acquisition part. And so you need to have that flight plan. And so... Um, the, the beauty of having it in a single page is that it's practical. You can literally have it pinned up on your office or sitting on your desk. And when you have a better information, more information, more accurate information, you can just update that at any time. You don't have to sit there going through 70 pages and trying to figure that out. It's, it's designed to be the most practical marketing plan you'll ever have. Um, okay. So... That said then, um, and by the way, I, I should say congratulations on the success of your book. So it's been on the best li- bestseller list pretty much forever <laughs> since it came out. And when was it published? Uh, it was published uh, initially, in, the first edition came out in 2016, and then we had a second edition in 2018. Oh, that's great. And why do you yeah. think people resonate with the, uh, with the title? Look, people, people want to understand marketing and plan marketing. And it's really designed to be a marketing 101. And it's it's the book I wish I had. Like I said, I, I read many books. I went to many seminars and I got little bits and pe- pieces of value from all of them, but nobody gave me the big picture. Nobody said, right, um, here's, here's where step one starts. Here's step, step two, step three, step four, and so on and so forth. You know, all the, you know, I was just a, an IT guy and, you know, all I wanted to know is how do I get clients in the door? And I was exactly. reading all of all of these weird stuff, like weird concepts, you know, branding and all of this sort of stuff, stuff that I just couldn't get my head around. Um, I just wanted to, a guide, like, where do I start? What do I do next? What do I do after that? I'm very process driven. And I think many, many people are, I, I'm not kind of like that super creative type, you know, that people think of when, when they think of marketing where, you know, you're, skateboarding around an office and all of that sort of stuff. Um, So, um, so to, to me, it was just, what do I need to do to get more clients in the door? And so I really wrote the book I wish I had. And I think um, coming from a place uh, from that kind of place of someone who's kind of been awake at 3am wondering how am I going to make payroll this week? uh, I think a lot of people resonate with that. And, uh, and that's basically how I've written the book. I've written the book in very easy to understand language. I don't have weird concepts that, you know, are very, very kind of theoretical and hard to understand. It's very, very practical. At the end of the book, you'll literally have a one page marketing plan for your business. That's comprehensive. Now, um, just out of curiosity, so obviously you have the book, um, and and I would imagine you do consulting as well. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I do uh, consul- consulting. We've got a course. We've got a membership. So we've got a whole community. Oh, great. Hmm. What, what's the course? Uh, the course is called the One Page Marketing Plan. Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it basically takes the the book, and then we really dive into implementation. So the, in the book, we concentrate very much on strategy. What do you ne- what do you need to do? We do go into tactical a little bit, but in the course, we really deep dive. Okay, what do we need to be doing on LinkedIn? What do we need to be doing on podcasting and all those oh, sorts wow. of platforms? We really get get into the details. 
Wow. Wow. Well, you know, and, and I think that, um, and I can see why you did a revision. I mean, one thing we know about marketing is that, you know, what was working four or five years ago, it's a lot different today uh, yes. in terms of opportunities, what's changed, particularly, I think, with social. Um, I think the fundamentals, I, I, especially the fundamentals I've believed in uh, mm. for a number of years absolutely still work today. And, and, yes. and so I guess I, that would be my next question is, is this, does this template work uh, if things keep changing? Yes. So it's, it's like you say, fundamentals very rarely change. You know, the p- consumer psychology hasn't changed in yes. the last 10 years or in the last hundred years, you know, we're, we're dealing with people, human beings, big bags of emotion. And so really um, the things that worked a hundred years ago are the things that work today are the things that are going to work in a hundred years from now. Now the tactics change dramatically, of right. course, like, of course we didn't have social media. We didn't have all of the, the internet and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, uh, a few decades ago, and maybe I'm dating myself now, you, you know, you, you, you pay the yellow pages a truckload of money and your marketing for the year was done, right? So um, right. That's, that's all changed with Google, with blogs, with Facebook and everything like that. So the tactical has definitely changed and that is fast moving, but the fundamentals do not change. You know, one, uh, I'd say one caveat to how consumer behavior has changed, and, and I've observed this as a consumer expert and a consumer advocate for the past 10 years. My observation is that, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was telling consumers, you know, don't believe everything in terms of marketing and advertising. And, yeah. uh, you know, over the past 10, 12 years, we've been, bum, we've been bombarded with offers and ads. Yeah. And it's just part of our life. And the American Marketing Association, I think they estimate, I forget what the, exactly the number is, but uh, it's, it, it can be up to uh, thousands of brand messages a day yes. that we're exposed to. And so yes. because of that, uh, I think consumers, my experience of this, have never been more guarded and, and yes. have never been more skeptical. Yes. And so where we also now have had all this conditioning that if I want to learn something, all I have to do, I'm just one click away. And yes. so I can spend all my time on YouTube or listen to podcasts or listen to read blogs or whatever it is. And I expect that that stuff is going to be freely available to me. If I have a question about, is a product any good? I go and read reviews. Yes. And so I'm actually really happy about this. I mean, as, as again, if I'm truly advocating for consumers, that consumers have gone very, very savvy. And so I'd say that's the one thing that I'd say is really drastically changed. And again, my observation over the past 10 years. And any ideas on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And now, uh, I mean, with the democratization of technology and, you yeah. know, everybody's got a supercomputer in their pocket. So uh, that's massively changed. There's been a power shift. Um, but ha- having, having said that, the things that... Um, appeal to people uh, a long time ago are the things that appeal to people today. The emotional triggers, the responses. So you're absolutely right. True. Attention spans are smaller. The saturation is, is larger. And uh, I think that's a big opportunity because now um, 
if you, you you have an even better opportunity to stand out because there's mm. so much sameness. There's so much, you know, people just shouting, "Hey, buy buy my stuff, buy my stuff, we're the best," all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's really the blind leading the blind, and uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity to stand out if you've got something unique or if you can position something as slightly unique. You don't have to when when we talk about unique selling propositions, a lot of people think you have to be, you know, a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk and invent something that's never been thought of before but uh, that's really not the case sometimes just a unique twist on something can make a yeah. massive shift you know another thing um, and then before we get into this just on current trends one thing that uh, obviously social moves very quickly and uh, as of you know when we're having this conversation here and again I hope this information never gets out we'll do it in a controlled <laughs> fashion however one thing that, that I've been hearing very recently and I, I've been hearing this for a year uh, but but I'm hearing that Facebook and these are from people that are you know they got six-figure monthly ad spends on Facebook mm-hmm. and so they have pretty good reps that they're working with. Um, Facebook is really going to be clamping down on, uh, you know, if you've got uh, kind of a spammy sales message, you're directing people right into a webinar. um, You're talking about, you know, uh, offers about you too can be rich and like, guess what? Those the the days of using Facebook for that are ending, uh, yes. or in the meantime, it's going to get insanely expensive yes. uh, if that continues to be your message. Yes. And Google, Wait. YouTube, Instagram, like they're all in lockstep on this. It's 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 about you know obviously they're about creating a good environment for their users and being shouted at with you know all this nonsense is not a good experience. That's exactly right, and l- like you say, it's because they do want to create that that good experience. Because if you're if you're on Instagram and you're just getting spam all day, um, you're not going to stay there for very long. So no. you, you'll you'll move platforms, and we see this time and time again with new platforms that that come out. When when Google came out, you could buy cheap clicks for a few few pennies and yeah. send people to spammy pages and things like that. Then they came out with the Google Slap, and they wanted you know the content to be relevant. Uh, yeah. They wanted the content to be high quality, fast loading, all of that. And you know many businesses went out of uh, out of business just overnight when they introduced that. Um, Facebook in the earlier days you used to be able to reach your whole entire audience if someone liked your page then they brought in uh, where you have to boost it um, and so we see this very often a new platform will come out uh, all the spammers kind of take advantage of it for, <laughs> yeah. for as long as they can and then the platform sort of clamps down and tries to increase quality yeah yeah well um, okay so let's let's kind of get started here um, and so the um, first block, if I'm looking at the My One Page Marketing Plan, um, it's, this is in three categories. So there's red, yellow, and green. And so the first block in, in each of those red, yellow, and green, there's, there's three uh, uh, sections in each, of those, uh, in, in each of those colors. So red is before or when they are a prospect. And so uh, in there, um, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this for your benefit, just in case you don't remember. <laughs> um, so there's my, so the first block is my target market. You remember writing that? I do. I do. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting so meta on myself here. All right. So, uh, my target market, what, what do I put in that block? 
Um, well, you, you, you put your ideal target market and the, 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 the key here is, you know, so many times as a small business, you want to, you, you feel like you want to cast the net wide. You feel like, um, you know, you're a doctor, lawyer, medical practitioner of some sort, and you think, hey, uh, my target market is everyone, right? I right, I hear everybody. that a lot. <laughs> you know, so, um, and it feels intuitive. Like, we're casting our net wide. We don't want to, anyone missing out. But the problem with that is if you say your target market is everyone, it's another way of saying it's no one. Um, the, the whole goal of what you do is for someone seeing your message, and we'll get into messaging um, shortly, but someone seeing your message and saying, hey, that's for me, you know, that's that's for me. Whereas if you've got a laundry list of, hey, we do this, we do that, we do this and that, and it, it just gets lost. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, you don't have the firepower now to do mass marketing. Like, like we talked about, you know, media has gotten so fragmented. Before, there used to be only a few TV channels, a couple of newspapers, and you could you could saturate media reasonably easily, still cost a lot of money, but um, you, you could do that. Now, it's near impossible. And so, you need to be very, very targeted. And I kind of liken it to, um, you know, that hunter who's kind of, you know, aiming at a tar- aiming at a very, very specific target to to make his kill. Um, if he's just shooting arrows in every which in every kind of direction, maybe randomly sometime he might hit his target, but it's going to be very difficult, very time consuming, very expensive, um, and so you need to be very, very targeted. You need to, your message uh, needs to really resonate with your audience where they say, hey, that's for me and they pay pay attention. Does that make sense? You know, let me give you a couple examples and I love your, I'd love your observation on this. So uh, we're currently hiring a pipe drive expert. And so um, using a platform and kind of searching for freelancers and and experts in that space, um, there are a lot of freelancers that specialize in sales, marketing, automation um, and you know using upwork and and we use uh, in this case we're, we're kind of doing some searching on upwork um, now if they respond and I look at their description and I don't see pipe drive in their title well yeah. it's like okay well it looks like you do a lot of things yes. uh, and I've got two people and they've got pipe drive in, like they're a pipe drive automation mm. expert yes. and they charge a little bit more money. But, you know, it's like, why would I hire the generalist when I can hire the specialist? Yes, exactly. And, 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 and it's just, you know, even if I have to pay more, I know that this is, this is what they obsess on. And I have a very specific problem and I want someone who is an engineer on that specific issue. That's exactly right. And, and in a very similar vein, recently my wife injured her knee and you know, I was looking over her shoulder as she was on her iPad and she types into Google knee specialist and then the area we live in, right? Yeah. So even though someone who does backs, necks, heads, all of that could probably help her, she's yeah. typing in knee specialist. So because we want the, we want to deal with the specialist and we're willing to pay more money for, for it to a specialist than a generalist. But, um, and that, and that's really the key people now, um, uh, they're typing specific things into Google. They're not just saying someone who can do this, that, and the other. They're typing in a very specific problem that they have, and you'd better yeah. have a very specific solution. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, I, I, again, I, I, 
totally agree with you. And, and I would imagine then that you in the book, you would take people through an exercise to really help them distill that down. Uh, Because I I completely agree with you and, and audience selection. I think one other thing I'd like to point out and get your opinion on um, is, you know, in terms of choosing an audience, I think that there is inherent benefit to choosing an audience that has the ability to pay and the desire to pay. Yes. Uh, I think that's going to make your job a whole lot easier. Yes. Um, I, I would imagine you kind of go into that a little bit too. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I've got a, um, I've got a process that I take people through. Um, it's called the PVP index, but basically we talk about, um, you know, who, who, uh, values your service, um, who's fun to deal with and who's profitable to deal with. So ah. they're the three factors that we really want to uh, to hit on. So who's fun to deal with? Because, you know, we went into business, you know, not to hate, you know, getting up on Mondays, right? I want to look yeah. forward to Mondays and, and I do, you know, I love what I do. But if we're dealing with clients that are pain that we just don't want to deal with or whatever, um, that kind of negates all of that. So does, you want to... Yeah. You want to have people that you that are fun to deal with, that are profitable, and that value what you do. So they're the three kind of factors that I go into, and I go into a lot more depth in in the book. But um, they're the three factors that you really want to hit when selecting a target market. In box number two, my message to my target market. How do you come up with that? So messaging is so crucial, and you know between uh, between messaging and selecting your target market is what I call. Um, an offer that converts. And so um, your offer that converts is kind of the, the, the thing that will make you or break you. Um, all the other stuff that comes after the, the media, how do we do promotions, how do we do ads and all of that, um, that, will, that will live and die by your offer. And, mm. and, uh, and I kind of just illustrate it like this. So Imagine we've got a um, helium-filled balloon. Um, we give that a little bit of a tap and it floats into space. Whereas imagine we've got a big, heavy bowling ball. If we need to launch that into space, we need to strap on a lot of rockets fire. We, we need to a lot of rockets. We need a lot of firepower. And by that, by firepower, I mean uh, time and money. Uh, so if we have a pretty poor or generic offer, we're going to have to spend a lot of firepower to get that out into the marketplace, to get attention in the marketplace. Whereas if we have a really, really good offer, an offer that really connects with our audience and our target market, the effort and the amount of time we need to spend is going to be dramatically reduced. So you want to create that offer that converts. And an offer that converts is really the um, superset of your uh, your target market and your messaging. And so when it comes to messaging, and a lot of people have heard this, that, you know, uh, developing a unique selling proposition is important. Um, but I, I kind of go into simplifying uh, what a unique selling proposition is. And a unique selling proposition doesn't, doesn't mean that you have to invent something brand new that's never existed, because I think very few of us will ever do that. You know, there are some geniuses who come up with stuff that is just kind of, you know, the new iPhone or digging holes uh, under the, the earth or sending rockets to Mars or all of that sort of stuff. But I think the vast majority uh, of people will not be doing that sort of stuff. They'll be selling consulting services. They'll be se- selling finance. They'll be selling um, razor blades or, or whatever it is. And so, you, so it's just coming up on a unique 
uh, twist, the way you sell it, the way you price it, the way you package it. And, you know, an example I use sometimes is Dollar Shave Club, you know, so yeah. um, they're not selling any unique product, right? So. No. It, cheap razor blades that you could get anywhere, probably in Walmart, Costco, uh, CVS, whatever. Um, And so that's not anything unique, but they put a little bit of a unique twist on it. They they started pricing it and packaging it on a subscription service, tapping into man's hatred of going into stores and running out of razor blades and all of that. And, you know, they they recently sold to Unilever, I believe, for over a billion dollars. You know, so unbelievable. <laughs> you didn't need to invent anything brand new, really. <laughs> you know, what's so crazy? In, little insider baseball on that. So I actually chatted with. Um, I got to be careful here because I want to. I don't want to. Okay, <laughs> so I will tell you that the exact same razors. The it, it made from the exact same plant, exact same manufacturer, exact same specifications uh, are branded on a different name, and they're about one third the cost. And I can tell you that you can find that brand. This is all I'm going to say. <laughs> you can find them on uh, on Amazon, and uh, that's the brand. So what I did is I ordered like you know I had a sp- I got like a fifty percent off deal, but I bought like like 48 <laughs> razors all at once. And I got them like BOGO uh, for yeah. a Black Friday deal. But um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But that, that is just unreal that Dollar Shave Club uh, made so much money. Hey, housekeeping, um, you need to fly out. Do you need to fly out in 17 minutes? Uh, no, I, I can stay on. That's fine. Okay. Can you, I have a, an alert that, that just went off on the security panel over there. Can, sure. can, can you give me just a second? I'll be right back. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Alan, the next block here is one that I'm particularly interested in, uh, just because I've certainly been very thoughtful about how I did this uh, with my two companies, Savings Angel and Up My Influence. And that is the media I will use to reach my target audience. And this is where we kind of dispel this myth that it's just naturally going to occur on its own. You actually need to use some platforms or you're going to need to somehow get in front of your target audience over and over again. Exactly, exactly. So uh, media selection is absolutely critical. um, And there are a couple of problems that I I often see in the marketplace. So sometimes people are just uh, not using enough different media channels and they're single source dependent. So maybe they've figured out how to get a good return on investment on Facebook ads and they go all in. And there's, there's nothing wrong with having a, a preferred platform, but what we know is that platforms change over time and being single source dependent is very, very dangerous. The number one is the most dangerous number. And oh, so, really? you know, so, so many people have just, you know, uh, lost half or all of their business by being so single source dependent, whether they yep. were dependent on Google or Facebook or whatever else. So you want to have multiple media channels that are regularly bringing you leads. It's kind of like, you know, the um, the four the four legs to a to a chair. Um, so if you have uh, you know one or if you're missing, it's not really going to work well. So um, 
that's fine. Have a favorite media channel if, if there's a standout for you and leverage that. That's great. But really um, create other media channels that are bringing you new leads, new clients um, on a regular basis. Super, super important. So there's a difference now between visibility and then if we get down now into the yellow block, which is uh, you've labeled as during or lead. And so now we've gone from um, just you know, understanding, uh, you know, who we're speaking to, uh, what the message we're going to deliver and where we're going to deliver that. Now there's awareness. And so uh, we've connected with that audience. And now we get into block number four, which is on the new yellow line. And it says my lead capture system. So it's, it's not an, I mean, I think we need to be deliberate on this uh, because you could just, you could put any message out there and people could look at it and say, well, that was awfully swell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of lose them. And um, mm. uh, you, would, you would probably suggest that we have a way to engage. Very much so. Very much so. so <laughs> um, and, and so I've got the next two, which is lead capture and lead nurturing. And they yeah. very much do, do go together. But uh, what, I, what I found is that the vast majority of people who are – thinking about buying a product, um, they're not ready to go today, you know, and research tells us that about 3% of your uh, target audience are ready to buy today. And that's great. And, but that's the 3% that everybody's fighting over. You know, everybody n- knows how to deal with a prospect that's ready to buy today. Great. You know, click the buy button or sign on the dotted line here or whatever. So it takes no expertise to kind of work with people who are ready to buy today. And that, and that's who everybody's after. But our research shows that there's a further 7% who are very open to buying. They're just not open. They're just not ready today. There's another further 30% who are interested, but again, not right now. Mm. And another 30% is not interested at all. And then a further 30% just couldn't be less interested. I mean, they're, they're, they probably wouldn't even take your product if it was for, for free. So really, how can we go from a 3% addressable market to a 40% addressable market, oh. which is, you know, capturing those seven people who are kind of, they're, they're open to buying, you know, but they're maybe not right now, maybe in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And then that 30% who are maybe ready to buy in a year or two years time. So how do we capture those people? Because if we can do that, we can increase the effectiveness of our marketing and our media by over 1200% because we go from a 3% addressable market, the people who are ready to buy today, to a 40% addressable market, which is, you know, capturing the people who are ready to buy today, the people who are kind of, kind of open and they're on the fence, and then the people who are interested but not right now. And so that's what lead capture is all about. And if you think about, you know, if you think about your own computer, so all the how many open tabs do you have? You know, all the stuff that you're going to get back to. Oh, I'm, uh, you're looking at a particular product on Amazon or you're looking at something that you, you think, like I, I've had, I've got a whole series of tabs that is stuff that, you know, I want to get back to buying or get back to looking at further. And, and, you know, in all likelihood, one day my computer will crash. I'll probably just lose all those tabs, right? So, <laughs> uh, and I think your, your prospects are very much the same. So if you're not, creating something compelling where they can engage with you, get more information and uh, learn more about you, your either your product, your industry, you, and understand what makes you different, um, then you've got a v- very much a missed opportunity. Uh, agreed. So what's the difference then between 
lead capture and lead nurturing? Yeah, so lead capture is where where we want to create a good reason for someone to opt in on your mailing list or subscribe to to uh, a free offer that you've got. So some way of you demonstrating value before you ever uh, create a transaction because that's mm. going to do a few things. That's going to create a better informed customer and, it, and if whatever you sell um, is high quality, is good for the, the person, then you want them to be a better informed customer. But it also uh, creates trust and authority. So if you're someone who's positioned as an educator rather mm. than someone who's a salesperson of course we'd rather we'd rather buy from a trusted authority educator than somebody who is just you know a salesperson salivating for their next commission yeah. so so really it's it's very much a positioning tool as much as it is really capturing uh, a wider audience who you would have lost otherwise what kind of stuff would you put in a in a in a lead nurturing system yeah, so in lead nurturing, um, I, I love taking people through um, the the buy either the buying process or the th- not even the buying process. I mean, the buying process is down the track, but the thought process that they uh, have during the buying phase. So, what's somebody thinking about? And a lot of people kind of avoid the elephant in the room. You know, oftentimes, you know, we kind of try to skirt around the. Uh, the issues that are kind of, you know, either the neg- negative issues or things that they might, uh, a, a prospect might be thinking uh, on a negative basis. And I think that's a mistake and that's a missed opportunity. We want to talk about the elephant in the room and and really address it head on and uh, talk about um, the things that, you know, what is going on in the prospect's mind. So, uh, for example, I've, I've got a client now uh, who sells um, uh, apartments to people who are downsizing you know people who are you know their children have moved out um they've now got a big house with a lot of maintenance and all of that and now they 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 kind of want to um uh they want to downsize they want to maybe move in a in a city a bit more have access to theaters and all of that sort of thing and we were going through the whole uh, process of messaging and and we were talking about what are the thought processes what are the roadblocks that are stopping people from from doing that and surprisingly it's it's things like um you know they've got a garage full of crap they've got the the daughter's wedding dress you know what are we going to do with all of this stuff and so just even the idea of kind of cleaning out that garage with decades worth of memories is a roadblock to them moving forward Mm. and so rather than skirt around the issue and talk about how great apartment living is and all of that sort of thing let's hit that issue head on let's talk about you know what do you do with your daughter's old wedding dress or what do you uh what do how do you get that garage cleaned out and how do you address all of those things and the memories that come with the family home and all of that sort of stuff so um I love through the lead nurturing process is kind of entering that conversation that's going on in them in the prospect's mind already. So really connecting with the prospect and entering that conversation rather than just being, you know, all salesy and just talking about how good your product and service is. Right. I really, really like that. So, um, you know, I guess really great information to learn about uh, uh, leads in your nurturing processes. What are their objections, and you know what can you give them uh, so that 
uh, they can handle those pre, I guess, pre-handle the objections uh, yeah. before they even need to give them to you. Um, so you have uh, maybe a campaign or communication um, that, that goes out that helps them. I like that. That's pretty good yeah. stuff. Yeah. What are their fears? What are their frustrations? What are their desires? What are they kind of uh, up at 2 a.m. in the morning mm. uh, worried about, you know? And let's let's enter that conversation. Let's not avoid it. Let's enter it. Um, so next would be sales conversion strategy. So I guess my question is, what's the difference between sales conversion strategy and lead nurturing? Yeah. So lead nurturing naturally leads to sales conversion. So lead, lead nurturing is when we're, when we're having that conversation with someone who's a prospect. And um, sales conversion is when they make their first transaction with us. Mm. So now, now there's an exchange of value. Um, and so a lot of people kind of think of sales conversion as sleazy, pushy, kind of, um, you know, weird, weird closes and things like that. And again, <clears throat> I think if you've done the first five uh, blocks right, if you've selected your target market right. right, if you've got really good messaging, if you've got good lead capture, lead nurturing, so on and so forth, um, sales conversion is just a natural process. Uh, it, it's not, uh, there should be no pressure. Like if you, if you, you're doing sales and it feels like a high pressure adversarial environment, then you're doing it wrong because really uh, sales conversion should, should become just a natural uh, flow on from uh, lead nurturing. And so lead nurturing might be something that takes a few days or could be something that takes a few years. I mean, uh, recently I had a client who signed up for my high level coaching and I said, mm. um, how long have you been on my mailing list? And he said, two years, right? <laughs> so if, wow. if two years, <laughs> you know, if two years ago I hadn't captured that lead, if I hadn't kept that uh, nurturing conversation happening, and a lot of it happens through automation as well, so you don't have to be manually kind of pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, and so uh, sales conversion is really kind of about going from being that pest to being a welcome guest, to being someone, oh, thank you for solving my problem, you know, you know, and it should be a natural uh, fit. So it should be where you're not afraid to say, look, I don't think we're a good fit for each other. Because if you do kind of uh, push someone where they shouldn't have been pushed, where where really it's not the best solution for them, mm -hmm. that's right. going to come back to haunt you. That's going, you're going to get refunds, you're going to get complaints, you're going to have difficult customers that you don't want to work with. Yeah. And so the sales conversion process is really about taking someone through that journey and that, and now there's an exchange of value. So you're, you're providing them a solution to their problem. You're now a trusted advisor who's taken them through, um, discussed some of the problems that they've had. And so you're, you're really uh, someone who's a welcome guest. You're not a pest. And so you have to do everything that you can to diffuse pressure in a sales environment. Wow. Wow. Uh, so, we, we've gone we've gone through the uh, yellow uh, blocks now, and uh, now we're down to green. And this is now you have a customer, and um, you know again you can have the best marketing. And and today here's here's another thing is like you can't get away with spectacular marketing and a poor product or client experience. Yes. It's just really hard to get away with that today. And thankfully so. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. And so obviously we want to develop a world-class experience. And how, what, what kind of things should someone brainstorm about if they're laying this out and thinking about uh, that world-class experience? 
Yeah, so it's all about, and, and this is partially why we want to be very selective about our target market. We don't want sales, sales pressure in the sales environment um, and because we want that world-class experience. And the goal of this phase is to really uh, take someone from just being a client, a transaction, to becoming a raving fans. Why do we want raving fans? It's what I call the principle of the unequal dollar, right? People think, um, and your bank manager will probably tell you that a dollar from a transactional customer is the same as a dollar from a raving fan customer, but mm -hmm. they're not equal. The dollar from your raving fan customer is more valuable than the dollar from your transactional customer who just bought from you based on price. And so um, you wanna create that tribe of raving fans because uh, they multiply themselves. They refer. They're a pleasure to deal with. They pay on time. Um, they're, they're fun to work with. And so uh, that makes everything better. It, it, your staff will love working with them. You will love working with them. They'll be more profitable. A and so uh, part of delivering a world-class experience is really giving them what they want, but also giving them what, what they need. So, for example, um, you know, someone may want, um, you know, six pack abs, uh, you know, washboard abs, but really uh, that's what they want and that's what they signed up for. But then now it's incumbent on you to make sure that they get that result. So that might be giving them what they need in terms of an exercise plan, a nutrition plan, whatever it is. So sell them what they want, but also give them what they need. And th there's a lot to go into this process, but really the other thing that we, we know is that people don't just want to be uh, serviced or adequately um, uh, adequately serviced or, or being transactional. People want to be almost entertained. So can you create some theater around your products and service? So uh, hmm. even if you sell something serious, I mean, can you curate that community of uh, people who are a tribe of raving fans who you're almost like the mayor of that town? Yeah. Um, and, and of course, increasing your customer lifetime value. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, one question I asked you is you have a book and um, it's pretty difficult to, you know, make become a millionaire from a book. Yes. <laughs> I say yes. pretty difficult. Uh, yes. So it's really important. And, and here's the thing. I mean, when you have someone coming in and buying an entry level product, uh, you know, they may really, really love that and say, listen, this is great but I can't do this by myself. Like I don't have exactly. the time. It's not a good use of my time to do this by myself. Yes. Um, I really would love to, you know, have a consultant or have a, you know, have, you know, bring in a team that can yes. implement this. Like I'm bought in to your culture. So for us, you know, with up my influence, you know, our whole thing is, uh, you know, we believe that every person has a message that could positively impact the world. And so, you know, we ask questions like, you know, what would happen if the number one reason that people weren't buying from you is because you just didn't have the third party validation from the media. Mm. And so, you know, our job is to turn you know, people and help them go from invisible to being seen and celebrated. And mm -hmm. so we get people owning their authority, owning their influence, but there's, it's a lot of work to do that on your own. So for us, yes. we have to have, you know, it would be yeah. ridiculous if we didn't have backend products where we could actually help people because we could facilitate that and do that much more efficiently than they can on their own. So I would imagine that's a big part of what goes in block number eight here. Very much so. And so, uh, when I look at the low end, so my lowest 
cost product. I mean, well, if you if you discount the the free free offers on the website and things like that, but my lowest paid product is a two dollar ninety nine Kindle version of my book, yeah. and that has led to six figure consulting. Uh, you know, at the at the at the high end, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so and everything between. Like I said, I've got memberships, I've got coaching, I've got um, uh, the the course, and so on and so forth between that, but. Um, when you look at the spectrum, um, and really, uh, my rule of thumb is that about um, 10% of your audience will pay 10 times more, and about 1% of your audience will pay about 100 times more. So oh. you, you want to have... That's a good, uh, That's a good, yeah. That's a good formula. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell anyone. No, no. <laughs> um, and so... You know, so many uh, businesses really have only one version or one offer or maybe, uh, you know, so you're really missing out if you don't have kind of that really high end offer because yeah. there's a, the, you, you may not sell many units, but they'll make a very good proportion of your revenue and your profit. So you want to have that, those really high end uh, products uh, and services and also at the low end. And of course, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not saying have a million different options, but know the segments of your audience. So when I think of my audience, I think of them in, in three segments. We've got the solopreneurs and the startups and, you know, uh, the very small businesses. Then I've got um, small businesses who are kind of doing maybe 1 million to 20 million in revenue. And then I've got corporates who are doing 20 million plus in revenue. So, um, and so they, they all buy very, very different things. Um, they're all at very different price points. And so even though some of the core concepts are the same, um, really, I, I need to cater for my different segments. All right. All right. And then finally, last block. How do I orchestrate and stimulate referrals? What, what's your methodology for that? I'm actually listening to a book right now uh, about that subject. So I'm, I'm really keen on, on learning what, what you've discovered. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, and I purposely t- I call this orchestrating and stimulating referrals because it implies something active. It's not mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of hope and pray for referrals. Um, <laughs> so that they they take it as a passive process. So they think, you know, if I do a really good job, people tell other people, and mm. maybe over a very long period of time that that may happen, but that's not something that you want to rely on. So we're creating a marketing plan here. So we really want to be very intentional about this. So number one is asking. So re- really, very few, you know, uh, one of the best ways to get what you want in life is to ask for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't make uh, working with them uh, a, a condition of working with them that you're going to give them referrals, right? Mm-hmm. So number one is ask. Number two is really uh, conquering that bystander effect. So, you know, the bystander effect is kind of like when there's a whole crowd crowded around and everybody's kind of thinking somebody else is going to call 911 or somebody else is going to get help or whatever and then nobody ends up doing anything and so um, what you want to do is be very very specific you want to say this is the this is a perfect referral for me I need this type of person so being because a lot of people kind of either stand up or say, hey, if you know anyone else who needs uh, accounting services or legal services, just re- refer them my way. And 
who's anyone else? Who's somebody else? You know, that's that's somebody other than me. And so you want to be very, very specific. You want to say, you know, if you know someone who's uh, living in this particular geographic zone who is going through a divorce and needs uh, help with a, uh, a whatever, a, a lawyer or a divorce lawyer or whatever else it is, um, then that's who I want because that's going to stick in someone's mind more than, hey, if you if uh, if you know anyone who needs uh, legal help, send them my way, right? Yeah. Which is kind of casting that net wide. So you want to be very, very specific when it comes to referrals. And then the third part of it is uh, really thinking about who has my clients before I do? Because we often think of ourselves in isolation, mm-hmm. but really we're one of a hundred things people are doing that day. And so you want to think about who else has my clients and how can I, you know, uh, who has my clients before me and who's going to have my clients after me? And wow. so really thinking about, you know, that it, yourself in the context of your your client's day and how can you maybe do a lead exchange, an affiliate offer, a JV of some sort where, you know, you can dramatic, you know, someone else is paying money to advertise to your ideal client. So why not go into it together and why not create something where you, you can send clients to each other where you're complementary but not non-competitive? Yeah. If someone really wanted to hit the gas on this one, on orchestrating and stimulating referrals what what would what would be some things that they could do yeah that's a great question uh, the thing that they would do is really create something that people your clients your partners your suppliers could give to someone else on your behalf because here's the thing right um we always hope that someone will um, send their friend or send their family member to us or, or whatever, but they'll only ever do that when they know for absolute sure that they're ready to buy today, that you're a perfect fit because they don't want to put their friend or family member in a situation where, you know, they're going to get sold to and there's going to be pressure and all of that sort of thing. So right. a, a lighter way of doing this is can you give them a book? Can you give them a free report or whatever that they can pass on to somebody um, who they, they're kind of not sure if you're a good fit or whatever, but you know, this is kind of a way of help that they can help them, that they can look good. So part of referrals is really making the person who's referring you look good to the, to the person because you know, why do we do referrals? We do referrals really to make us feel good. So when, the last time you recommended a great movie or a great book to a friend or a family member, you weren't trying to do a favor to the author or a favor to the movie chain. You were trying to, you know, help your friend out. And yeah. in the process, if your friend had a great experience, I mean, that reflects well on you as well. So tapping into that psychology and understanding why people refer. And so if you've got a book or a free report or a video series or something that they can pass on to people in their network who are not ready to buy today, but they might be ready in the future. That's a really, really great way to hit the gas on it. I do that with my book. I literally give my book away like candy. So (laughs) whenever I send someone a free book, I actually send them two. Um, One uh, one book is for them and one book is to give to a friend or or a family member. So. Yeah, getting getting a personal referral where it's I mean that's so valuable and those are those are always our like our easiest folks to convert into yes. paying clients. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, Alan, we need to get you on your jet. So, <laughs> thank you for again flying all the way to Florida. I really appreciate that. Uh this is absolute gold. I am going to that's going to be my very next book in my 
uh, audiobook uh, queue uh, will be the, uh, the one page marketing plan. And, um, and so, uh, again, just looking at your website here, successwise.com, um, I I've appreciated downloading and using the, uh, the, the free canvas that you make available. This has been a really great exercise. And, uh, so I'm, I'm really, really excited, uh, to kind of, kind of take a deeper dive with this content that you've shared and, and, uh, looking forward to, uh, to listening to this book. So thank you so much. Uh, Josh, it was a pleasure to be on and thank you for your time and um, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. All right. Enjoy your flight back. I will do. I <clears throat> fell out of the tree into an anthill. I am now simply back to rendezvous point with Podhacker. So he could take me to the hospital. At least we got that sick audio though. If you like that, listeners then subscribe to this podcast. If you want more ways to spy on Josh, then visit upmyinfluence.com. I'm Morse Code, over and out.